The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer here in San Antonio. How is everybody on this very rainy day here in South Texas? We've got uh, a tropical depression at this point uh, that's uh, cruising through the uh, south part of the uh, state. And uh, it's bringing us a ton of rain, lots of welcome rain. I mean, we needed it. I mean, we really needed it. But it's still uh, a lot more rain than what uh, some of us would like. So uh, we're, um, you know, it's a rainy day, but we're liking it. That's okay. Not a pro- not a problem. Not a problem. We we will take the rain anytime that we get it. So uh, welcome to the show, my friends. Um, we've got a good program on today for you. Uh, again, as usual. Uh, let me give you a lineup real quick of who is going to be on, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, about some of the news. Uh, but first of all, we've got um, our first guest is going to be Miss Al- Emily Sass. She's a brand new um, uh, guest for us. She's a policy director uh, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation up in Austin, and she is uh, the policy director for what is called the Next Generation Texas Campaign. She works uh, on education issues, and the reason that I reached out to her was because uh, we want to talk about the challenges that are going on to reopening public schools, not only here in Texas, but all over the place, uh, because everybody wants to stay safe from the pandemic. I mean, I get the definite feeling in some cases that some people just uh, are dragging their feet and do not want uh, to uh, cooperate with reopening the uh, schools. Uh, we've seen in in uh, Los Angeles where the school where the teachers union is demanding all sorts of crazy things uh, like environmental issues, like defunding the the uh, police, things that have absolutely nothing to do with the um, with, with uh, uh, Johnny learning to read, write, or do math. Uh, they have nothing to do with it. But uh, you know the they're, they're, uh, the the teachers unions want everybody to be uh, safe. The same thing with a lot of uh, uh, parents. Parents uh, are very, very worried as to whether or not their children are going to be safe from the uh, from the germs. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, folks, but when was the last time that uh, there was a germ-free first, first grade class or kindergarten class? I mean, please tell me, when was the, that last time? So anyway, um, she's going to chat with us about that. Uh, we also have um, my good friend Ira Melman from FAIR, from the Federation for Immigration for American Immigration Reform. Myra is going to be, uh, Ira, should I say, Ira is going to be talking to us about some recent disappointments. And I, I will call them disappointments. I mean, that's going to upset some people. But we have been disappointed on some issues recently, on some policy issues uh, by the White House, by the Trump administration. And he's going to chat with us about uh, those disappointments. Hopefully, we are going to um, see some changes, and definitely there was one big change that I welcome, uh, and we're going to chat about it in the news portion, and that was regarding the um, uh, the tr- Trump signing an, an executive order to exclude illegal aliens from the from the census. <clears throat> so, um, you know, that's, that's good news. Uh, we've got uh, a mixture. So anyway... Uh, Ira will be our our uh, our second guest. Our final guest is going to be my very very good friend, Jason Jones, uh, who is the uh, border crime expert. And Jason uh, is going to be talking to us about a recent development, uh, a picture that was taken in Mexico of uh, cartel members, cartel the sicarios as they call them, the 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 the, the soldiers in the cartel. Uh, dressed in uh, full military uniform with military vehicles. I mean, they looked dangerous and impressive. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, this militarization of the cartels. It's very, very interesting because also on uh, Wednesday of this past week, uh, AMLO, uh, Lopez Obrador, the president of uh, 
uh, of uh, Mexico, he reiterated and reemphasized that he prefers hugs to bullets. Okay, in other words, he wants to take a very uh, a very passive uh, approach to working with the cartels. Now, I, I like that phrase, working with the cartels. Does that mean you're going to help them to sneak the drugs across and sneak the people across? Uh, you know, uh, there is a limit for a government to work with the crime organizations. Uh, however, AMLO, the president of Mexico, Lopez Obrador, uh, apparently doesn't understand that. And he, uh, he literally, I mean, he wants to be friends with the cartels. Ah, I mean, I, you know, if that isn't a recipe for failure of, 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 uh, of, of a national policy, I don't know what is. So anyway, uh, those are our guests. Uh, let me let me do some quick um, uh, news items for you before uh, we go to our first guest. Uh, first of all, uh, on Tuesday, this is a big deal, my to my friends. I mean, we have been, had some disappointments from the from the uh, uh, Trump White House regarding some immigration policy issues, but this one was a big one. On, the, on Tuesday, the president signed an executive order to ensure that only citizens and legal residents of the United States are going to be counted in the census. This is big deal because it excludes illegal aliens. Now, it's going to be difficult to identify and exclude these illegal aliens, but he has put forth this executive order telling census workers that they've got to do their job and do their best to do that. Now, why is this important? Well, because the fact of the matter is that uh, illegal aliens, uh, when they are counted, they skew, they skew the population and the representation uh, of, uh, of states. States with high uh, illegal alien populations uh, get, get more money, get more federal resources, and get apportionment in Congress, representation in Congress. My friends... Illegal aliens should not be used as a basis for representation in Congress or for a state or a city to receive federal funding. Let me repeat that again. An illegal alien should not be, should not be counted towards representation in Congress and the recipient the, the receiving of federal funding, federal resources for a community. Okay? It's that simple. Either our federal resources and our government representation is for citizens or it's for everybody. And it should not be for everybody. It should not be for everybody. Because when you do that, my friends, all you do is encourage and reward illegal immigration because you've got communities encouraging illegal aliens to come into their community so that they can up their ante. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Also, uh, there was a situation in um, uh in St. Louis, uh, a real, uh, and you know, this one, this one has to do with the, uh, with, with how local uh, elections have real ramifications, my friends, because we have seen, uh, we have seen how sanctuary communities uh, are pop up, how sanctuary communities pop up because of uh, of folks, uh, local uh, district attorneys, local uh, mayors protecting illegal aliens. Well, you know, this is another another aspect of this uh, of, of this not counting illegal aliens. For example, here's a big one that happened this past week, my friends, a big situation, a tragic situation. And it really shows how the media, how the fake news locally covers up for illegal immigration. We had a tragedy on Saturday afternoon, last Saturday, okay, on the 19th, there was a tragic situation where a drunken illegal alien, uh, Nevajes Ivan Robles from Mexico, uh, was drunk at the wheel, and he swerved uh, on a road in the hill country just north of San Antonio. He swerved, and there were, there were let me let me count count them real quick here. There were, uh, not, there were three people who were killed and nine injured. Three people were killed, nine injured, who were on a motorcycle ride. On top of that, these motorcycle members, this motorcycle club was a motorcycle club called the Thin Blue Line Law Enforcement Mo Motorcycle Club. These were both 
active and retired law enforcement folks. And this drunken illegal alien swerved and, and killed three of them, injured uh, uh, nine, of, uh, nine of them. Incredible, my friends. What's even worse was that the local media did not, for, four, for three days, did not identify this guy as an illegal alien. They didn't say anything. The way that we found out was because the uh, small newspaper there in, uh, in, in, um, in Kerrville, they identified him right, right away because, you know, they asked the, the uh, geez, can you imagine? They reported the accur- accurately. They asked the sheriff, and the sheriff responded and said, yeah, the guy was, uh, had, uh, e- had uh, immigration uh, issues as well. So, uh, you know, but none of the major newscast organizations in San Antonio, a city of over a million and a half people, reported or said anything for three days. For three days. That is outrageous, my friends. That is outrageous. Finally, the situation with the uh, uh, St. Louis couple. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember St. Louis couple that uh, uh, that felt threatened uh, because of a, uh, a, a protest in front of their house. The protesters were actually protesting uh, in, fr- uh, uh, in front of the mayor of St. Louis. This was a Black Lives Matter group. They were uh, screaming and yelling. They they uh, were trespassing because it was a a private um, neighborhood. They busted down a gate, went in, and uh, proceeded to to uh, scream and yell and and cause a ruckus. The uh, homeowners came out with the guns to protect their property. And guess who has been arrested? Guess who has been charged? The private the private homeowners for defending their private property. They have been charged, not the rioters, not the people causing the disruption, not the people causing causing the property damage. No, the property owners. This is what happens, my friends, when you've got uh, when you've got district attorneys that are elected and no one really has checked on them. And these are these are liberals. These are Democrats. Incredible. We've got one here in San Antonio who was elected courtesy of uh, a million dollars. Uh, to his campaign by none other than George Soros. Amazing, amazing. All right, my friends, we've got to uh, close up here, and we've got to get ready for our first guest. Thank you for being with us. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Please call your friends. Tell them to join us. We'll be right back with our first guest. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer, and we've got uh, a, a new guest with us. I've reached out to Miss Emily Sass, who is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. She is uh, working on a project called the New Generations uh, Project. She'll tell us about it. But uh, she's uh, also the uh, the resident expert about uh, uh, public education or Texas public uh, schools and what is going on with the, with the COVID uh, uh, issue. How are you know are kids ever going to go back to school? Is the question uh, that I've got. Uh, I've got uh, nephews, nieces, uh, grand nephews, and grand nieces uh, who haven't. Um, gone back to school since uh since april or march march i guess so uh emily thank you for taking time welcome to the show tell us what's going on what do you know what do you see as far as what is going on as far as the texas schools 
and COVID. I mean, uh, we we understand the concerns, but uh, uh, are they being addressed? Will they ever? But will will it ever be safe for safe enough for people to go back to school? What do you think? Hey, George, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, my name is Emily Fast, and I help run the Next Generation Texas Project at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, we cover anything, uh, any any aspect of education, uh, starting from the youngest grade to workforce development for adults uh, as they seek to further their careers. Uh, so we cover it all under that. Um definitely been spending time looking into the reopening situation of schools across the state and indeed across the country. Um, the answer to your question of what's going to happen is nobody really knows yet. Everybody is figuring this out as they go along, unfortunately, and, and parents and kids are, are the ones getting caught in the middle of that. Uh, what that means is most school districts are set to open sometime in mid to late August. Um, and parents don't know if they'll be able to send their children in person in many cases or if it'll be virtual or if, if, <laughs> uh, if they are going to get to have a choice, uh, at least at the beginning of the year. Uh, the official guidance from the Texas Education Agency is that school districts must provide in-person instruction to students uh, whose families want it. In other words, if you are a parent and you want to send your child to school five days a week, in person, uh, then you should be allowed to do that. Uh, districts are also required to offer virtual instruction to families who would prefer for their children to continue to learn at home. There are some exceptions to that, however, which is where a lot of this confusion comes in uh, because districts are allowed to choose whether to begin the year only offering virtual education for the first four weeks and even the first eight weeks. Uh, if their school board decides to do that. So some school districts may be starting off the first couple of months of the year only offering virtual instruction. Others may do that sooner, uh, and others might see if they can extend that even further. The largest uh, counties and districts in Texas have actually gotten public health orders from the county public health authorities saying that in-person classes cannot start before a certain date. Uh, this has happened actually in Bear County, uh, in multiple counties down in the valley, uh, in Tarrant County and in Dallas County. Uh, Bear County said that schools would be closed through Labor Day. Uh, and they at least have attempted, uh, many of these orders have attempted to close down private schools as well. So now you have families who aren't even sending their children to public schools who are now being told that they have to close as well. So no parents. Most parents have no idea uh, when their kids will be able to go back to school because we're looking at so many exceptions right now. Uh, what we do know is that schools will be required to offer some sort of virtual offering for your children. If that doesn't work for you, though, uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a rough couple of months. You know, this is very, very interesting uh, because uh, this situation, I mean, uh, as, a, as a conservative taxpayer, I'm already upset with the quality of education in, in public uh, in public schools anyway. But now um, we've got the uh, county health, uh, as well as the metropolitan health uh, uh, offices, saying that uh, it's too, you know, it's too dangerous, I guess, for uh, kids to go back to school. Well, when is it ever going to be not dangerous? I mean, kids come home with with colds all the time. When is it not going to be dangerous? When is it ever going to be safe, as they would put it, for kids to go back to school? I mean, is there any idea about that? It's an excellent question, and you're right. This could be the beginning. Of, it could very likely be the beginning of a slippery slope argument uh, where uh, it's just never dangerous, never, never safe enough the entire school year for kids to go back to school. Uh, and that it may be convenient for school district administrators who don't have to figure out how to get kids safely into in-person classes, and it might be convenient for teachers who prefer not to teach uh, in an in-person classroom. Uh, some teachers are, are concerned about that and would like to teach virtually. Other teachers are fine with going uh, back to classrooms. Uh, so they really differ there. Uh, but who get stuck in the middle are the families who rely on schools to take care of their children during the week uh, and make sure they're being safely instructed 
while they're away at work. The single moms are the ones who are going to get hit by the hardest by this, and the parents were both the families were both parents work. Um, what we are seeing, you asked about the safety factor. Obviously, we can never guarantee that kids are going to be 100% safe during the school day. Um, we've we've seen that through multiple tragic incidents uh, that that never that never stop. Kids get bullied at school. Kids catch illnesses at school, like you said, we can never guarantee 100% safety. It is encouraging from what we've seen from other countries that have begun reopening schools that generally we're not seeing a lot of transmission or serious cases among those students. In fact, uh, they're happening very seldom. Uh, so that that's encouraging. Uh, probably the biggest thing to consider here is transmission between older students and adults, those teachers or other staff who are on site at the school. How do we keep them uh, safe since they do seem to be generally in a higher risk category than the younger students who might be in the elementary grades? It's amazing. You know, it, it really, really, uh, it, it really uh, it is is amazing to me how you know, uh, particularly some of the uh, uh, teachers' unions have put up uh, obstacles uh, on the issue of safety uh, and uh, just, uh, in essence, blocked everybody from going back to school. Uh, And, you know, it's it's completely fine for a teacher to say, I'm not comfortable going back and teaching in person in a classroom, and I prefer to do it virtually. The problem is if teachers across the board say, we insist on doing school virtually and we expect you know, whether or not that's right for the families that we serve, we expect to, to be paid to teach from home um, when families may need something that's absolutely different. And school districts say, without giving parents an option, okay, we're going to teach you from home, and you're just going to have to be okay with that, and the state needs to continue to pay us. Their parents need the ability to decide what's okay for their families in these times. And and some for some families, that's going to mean uh, deciding to do school virtually for other parents, it's going to mean they need to be able to decide to send their child to school the way they've been able to do for decades and, and hundreds of years. It, it really, really should. The uh, I, I guess the other question and, and uh, is is this issue of uh, uh, who pays? I mean, if you're going to do virtual uh, teaching. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of kids are going to need uh, new uh, uh, computers or laptops. Uh, you know, how much are we going to pay more uh, than we already are paying in taxes for, for these things? Uh, nobody knows yet. Uh, it's going to be, it, it's definitely going to be a challenge for school districts who want to provide full virtual instruction and, and it, their communities are okay with that. I mean, it's still going to require a big increase in cost. Many urban districts had already been trying to provide devices to their students before the coronavirus began. Um, their their task is, is still very difficult, but perhaps a little bit easier than if they had started from scratch. There are other districts around the state who had absolutely no, desi- no devices uh, for students, and, and they're just having to, <laughs> to really figure this out as they go along. But yes, there are going to be unexpected expenses there for sure. Really, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, there are so many questions that I have as a taxpayer on this whole situation because, you know, if you're not going to use the uh, big schoolhouse that we've paid for, then, uh, you know, uh, why don't you uh, lower my taxes or get rid of that uh, uh, building and, you know, use the money in some other fashion? Of course, you know, I'm just talking off the top of my head and who's going to listen to me at the school district level on this issue? What uh, I, I, what do you see? I mean, we've only got a minute to go here, but what do you see uh, in the future of, of Texas public education or Texas education, period? Yeah, here's, here's what, what really we're going to have to figure out in the next year, George, and it's, it's this. Um, we've got to provide families the options they need uh, to make the right decisions for their kids. Um, whether that looks like virtual or on, uh, on-site instruction or something in between. There are other models called hybrid models that do both. Um, but we're going to have to make sure that families are able to make those choices for themselves. And if school districts uh, aren't able to provide those choices for families or refuse, perhaps, in some cases, to provide those choices to families, we're going to have to find some other way for that to happen. The state's going to have to make sure that families are able to make those choices 
table for their children and their families can remain safe, whatever that means for them. It's going to be very, very difficult for school districts to make the right decision for every single family, and I want to just acknowledge that up front, but whatever it takes, we need to make sure families are empowered to make the decisions they need to make. Excellent. Sarah, tell them, tell them real quick where, you can, uh, where they can follow you and uh, where they can donate to uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation. The Texas Public Policy Foundation can be found at texaspolicy.com. And if you like occasional tweets about what's going on in education in Texas, you can always follow me on Twitter, Emily J. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for, for being with us today. I appreciate it tremendously. Uh, we've been, uh, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, howdy, 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 George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Ira Melman, from uh, FAIR, from the uh, Federation for uh, American Immigration Reform. And uh, I wanted to talk to him because they are in D.C. right there on K Street. And uh, I wanted to get him to, uh, or not there, you're, they're up on the hill right there, right, Ira? Yes, you're not on yeah, K I Street. We're actually on Massachusetts Avenue. Yeah, Massachusetts. Right just off of Capitol Hill. Yeah. And... Uh, we're kind of concerned out here about what we're hearing uh, regarding what's going on with uh, the president. Uh, he seems to have already given in to uh, the, the K Street lobbying groups on uh, the issue of um, foreign students. What else is going to be happening? Uh, is uh, What is the uh, K Street mob doing uh, regarding uh, immigration? How strong are they? are they? What are they undermining? Uh, as far as immigration, uh, uh, the the law and everything else, talk to us, Mel- Ira. Tell us what is going on. Well, uh, I mean, the first thing is that the K Street mob is one of the most influential players in this debate, as well as probably many other debates. You, you know, some of the people in the radical left get a lot of the attention, but if you look at where the money has been coming from, and not just now, but you know, historically, the money has been coming from the lobbyists for corporate interests. They see uh, lots of migrants, uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants, doesn't really matter to them, as a source of what they consider cheap labor, but really subsidized labor. They get to pay substandard wages. The rest of us then pick up the real costs of having those workers and their families here in the United States. And they want to preserve a subsidy. I mean, the, the, you know, everybody loves a subsidy as long as it's coming to them. Uh, and they are on the receiving end. Uh, it's the American people that are doing the subsidy, subsidizing. Uh, they're not thrilled about this. And the president, when he ran for office in 2016, said he was going to be interested in the concerns of the American people, the people who are doing the subsidizing. Uh, you know, he's made good on some of those promises, but in others he has not. Uh, you know, he tends to blow, you know, go, go which whichever way the wind happens to be blowing at any time. Uh, we need firm leadership out of the White House. And, you know, there's been instances recently where that has happened. Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. <laughs> we lost you for a few moments there. Um, the situation that, that uh, you know, it, it comes to mind immediately was this recent situation with the, um, with the students. Uh, you know, perhaps we need to explain to folks who the K Street, when we're talking about the K Street mob, who are they and, um, you know, uh, who do they represent uh, as, as far as that, uh, that goes? Businesses and academics as well, right? Both of them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for those who live outside the, the Beltway, K Street is where most of the big lobby uh, firms have their headquarters. You know, it's kind of become like Madison Avenue. You know, it's a euphemism for the advertising industry of Wall Street, the euphemism for the uh, financial industry. Uh, K Street is where the big lobby firms are all headquartered. Uh, they obviously represent some very powerful interests. Uh, you know, these are the companies that have a lot of money to pay the exorbitant fees that these lobbying firms require. Uh, and look, you know, as I said, uh, 
mass immigration has been a labor subsidy for many of these big corporations, and everybody fights to keep their subsidy. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that this doesn't really benefit the American people. And, you know, you brought up the issue of the student visas. A couple of weeks ago, the president very correctly said, look, uh, you know, if you are coming to, if, if you want to study at an American university, uh, but you're only taking online courses, there is no need for you to be physically present in the United States. Uh, Zoom works all over the world. You, you can take your classes online no matter where you are. There is no reason for us to be issuing a student visa to you. Uh, but, you know, the, acad the lobbyists for the academic institutions, the big universities, said, wait a minute, you know, these foreign students pay full tuition. Uh, it, it is an enormous source of income for these universities, and that's understandable. I mean, it, it, obviously these universities depend on money, but the purpose of the student visa program is not to make money for the universities. It is to provide people who have a legitimate need to study in the United States an opportunity to do so. Uh, and, and then you have the lobbyists for the, the my immigrants themselves. Uh, you know, even those these people are coming on student visas, which are supposed to be temporary. In many cases, they are looking to get a foothold here and adjust their status to become permanent residents. And again, from their perspective, that makes sense. But it's not the purpose of a student visa. A student visa is uh, given out so that people can get their education, go back home, uh, and use the skills that they've acquired in their home countries. It is not supposed to be a stepping stone uh, to citizenship or to permanent residence here in the United States. But those interests, you know, have developed, and they're fighting the interests of the American people uh, on this. And basic common sense that says you don't have to be here if you're taking classes online. Uh, but, you know, the pressure got to the White House, and the president did back down on this. Wow. Well, then there's also the issue of the... Um uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood uh, Arrivals, or DACA, as they call it. Um, there are some big players lobbying for that one, like Apple, Amazon, General Motors. Um, how do you see that one playing out? Well, again, I mean, it's hard to gauge with this administration. You know, they seem to change their positions. I wouldn't even say on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Uh, you know, the president has said very firmly that he thought that President Obama overstepped his constitutional authority when he implemented DACA back in 2012. And by the way, President Obama himself said uh, he didn't have the constitutional authority to do it and then went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, but the president said he's opposed to that. He was opposed to amnesty. Generally speaking, uh, he tried to repeal DACA. Uh, they didn't, you know, do the paperwork that, the way they were supposed to, and the Supreme Court found a loophole to let it stand, uh, at least for the time being. Uh, but then the president went on Univision about a week or so ago and said, you know, maybe I am prepared to, you know, grant amnesty to people who were in the country illegally. Uh, he, he was kind of vague about what he wanted to do, whether it would be a, a, an executive order, uh, whether he wanted to work with Congress to pass some kind of legislation. Uh, it, it was just kind of all over the place, and it's hard to figure out. But uh, it, look, I mean, the president needs to make a firm statement about where he stands, especially with an election coming up. He needs to let the American public know what his positions are and what they will be, uh, you know, after the lobbyists and everybody else start yelling at him that he's not going to you know, basically cave in on a lot of issues that he has promised the American people he would stand firm on. You got it. I mean, it really, I mean, you know, I also am very, very worried about um, the uh, the money uh, for the for the border wall. Uh, the uh, the House obviously has made it very, very uh, uh, clear that they uh, they want to defund the, the wall. Uh, what do you hear about that point? You know, he, the president, again, has said that he it's his intention to go ahead and build the wall. Uh, he has found other sources of revenue to put towards that, uh, you know, money that is available to him. Uh, that in addition to not wanting to fund the wall, the uh, 
uh, House is also looking for ways to close off those other avenues of federal revenue that are going towards the wall. Uh, this is going to be a, a political battle. Uh, you know, the, the wall has proved itself to be valuable in stopping uh, Ill- illegal immigration or at least uh, slowing it down somewhat. Obviously, there are many other things. The wall is not the answer all by itself, but it's an important tool, and it should be continued. Uh, and, you know, the American public is going to have to fight for it. Uh, there's clearly going to be resistance, especially in the House, which is controlled by Democrats. Uh, they have made it clear that they're very much opposed to it. Uh, so, you know, it, it's going to have to play out, but the president is going to have to stand firm. Uh, he is going to have to be creative in how he, you know, as long as he acts within the legal bounds of his authority, uh, in how he finances this. Yep. The, uh, you know, this, the, not only have they, have they talked about, uh, defunding the, the wall, uh, the House Democrats are always, are also talking about, uh, continuing their battle to defund ICE and a few others. Is there any good news? Is there anything that we can look for, hopefully, uh, coming from, from, uh, from, uh, from Washington regarding this issue of illegal immigration? The president um, on Tuesday uh, is signing an executive order saying that he's going to try to subtract out the um, the known illegal aliens from the census so that they are not counted for the portion of uh, for the purpose of reapportioning congressional seats, uh, which is a very important issue. Right now, you have American citizens in some states who are denied representation in Congress, uh, and that representation is given to illegal aliens in other states, and it also means the flow of federal dollars uh, increases to those states with high populations of illegal aliens, and it diminishes uh, in states that are less welcoming to to illegal aliens. Uh, You know, these are all things that that the American public needs to be concerned about. Uh, The reapportionment also uh, dictates which states, you know, how many uh, electoral votes each state gets. Uh, so, you know, it potentially could determine the outcome of uh, national elections. So these uh, th- these are important things. You know, obviously, like anything else the president does, it will probably be greeted with a big fat lawsuit. Uh, but <laughs> it, it is important that he is taking the step. Yeah, exactly. Every everything he does is greeted with a lawsuit. Ira, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Tell tell the folks where they can uh, read and how they can support uh, Fair. The best place is to go to the website, which is fairus.org. That's f-a-i-r-u-s dot o-r-g. Fairus dot org. All the information is there, and we'd love to hear from you. Right. Thank you very much. We've been talking with uh, Mr. Ira Melman from uh, the Federation for American. Uh, Immigration Reform Fair in Washington, D.C. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his Internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, my very good friend, uh, Jason Jones, uh, on the phone. Jason is our border crime expert, uh, and uh, he has broken a story, my friends, that has a very ominous picture. It is a picture of the cartel, the Nuevo Jalisco cartel, in four in full camouflage in uh, some very, very uh, military-looking uh, vehicles. Uh, this is uh, the same uh, Jalisco, uh, Nuevo Jalisco cartel, which uh, wasn't too long ago fought um, the, uh, the Mexican government to a standstill uh, and, uh, and has continued 
to challenge the government uh, distributing uh, food and uh, human and health services. And uh, the the president of Mexico, AMLO, the uh, uh, Lopez Obrador, he has been completely, completely... uh, uh, unable to uh, to challenge them, to bring them in, to heal uh, all of our uh, foreign money that goes to Mexico gets siphoned off by the pre, by the uh, uh, corrupt politicians. In the meantime, this cartel continues to grow in uh, in strength and size, just like ISIS did, my friends. This is the same. There's no different than ISIS, and uh, you know we ca- we can't send our neighborhood cops. To uh, fight ISIS, we can't do the same thing to fight this cartel. So, uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Tell us about your latest uh, article and what you have found. Yeah, sure, George. As always, it's great to be back with you, and and thanks for having me. Uh, On Friday, um, we received a video from some sources in Mexico uh, showing this new armament and basically a company of Carta Jalisco New Generation, uh, Sicarios, an elite group within their unit they call the elite group. And what's stunning in this video and that you see is a whole new generation of armored vehicles, I mean dozens and dozens of them, along with military-grade weapons, and, but a uniformity that we've not truly seen before. And, you know, it is an eye-opening thing for the Mexican government who have now come out trying to say that at any point they could pick out CJ&G if they wanted to. But the truth is they've been at this for 14 years using their military trying to defeat the cartels. And here we are 14 years later, and we see a level of capability that is beyond what the normal security forces of Mexico deploy day in, day out. And it's a real eye-opening experience that the American government must see what's happening and they must take action and create policy for success the uh you know we seem to continue to do the same thing over and over again like crazy people that uh do the same thing and expect different results and uh obviously uh something's not working the situation continues to get worse with uh, the drug trade the human trade uh, and the strength of these cartels. I mean, uh, something different's got to be done. What do you think? Well, well, you're absolutely right. And that's why I've been calling for the cartels to be designated as foreign terrorist organizations. We can't expect U.S. law enforcement working in collaboration alone with the Mexican government, who in many areas are so corrupted at the highest levels of their government that uh, they refuse to take them on. And, you know, many, many folks listening right now are probably saying, yeah, but that's Mexico's problem, Jason. Why do we want to get involved in that? Why? How does that affect me and my family? And I want to tell you, it affects your family because 70,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2017. In 2018, 68,000 Americans died from drug overdoses. And this week, this week, the numbers from the CDC have, been, have come out that in 2019, under a preliminary review, 71,000, just shy of that number, uh, 71,000 have died from overdoses in 2019. And this one cartel, let me just give you some examples. Operation Python that DEA commenced in March arrested 600 operatives and from this one cartel throughout the United States. That's the level that they are operating in our country. And don't take my word for it. Type in Project Python, and you can see the results from the administrator of DEA himself talking. Now, these uh, operatives that we have in the United States, uh, these are not just uh, foreigners. These are just not, you know, in many cases, illegal aliens who are criminals involved in criminal activity here in the United States. These are uh, also local gangs that are involved, uh, like the Mexican Mafia and... Uh, prison gangs and uh, other folks like that, even MS-13, the uh, the Salvadoran gangs are all uh, somehow connected to this, are they not? They are, and the way it works is that everyone collaborates with the Mexican cartels. You know, there was a time when methamphetamine was strictly a U.S. biker gang thing. You know, we had our domestic labs in the United States, and, and U.S. gang bikers, for the most part, 
sold methamphetamine. Today, that's completely changed everything from methamphetamine, fentanyl, cocaine, and uh, heroin are all purchased by the cartel or from the cartel. So U.S.-based gangs, foreign-based gangs like MS-13 who operate here, uh, all of them work in collaboration. The cartels, at the end of the day, they don't distribute at the at the ground level. You know, they bring in the massive quantities from Mexico. And to give you an example, just this one cartel has over 100 meth labs in Mexico. Just meth. Just meth. Now, that's not from me. That's from the administrator, Uden Dillon, with the Drug Enforcement Administration in his press briefing. So this is an example. And, and these labs are super labs, George. They're massive. Um, one that we discovered working with DEA down in Mexico, it was that one lab could produce three tons of methamphetamine in a week. Now, that's not the largest lab. Some can produce up to seven tons in three days. So these things are huge. And when we, when, when, when I say we, I mean U.S. law enforcement takes out a major cell like this, it would stun the average American to see how quickly they just send in new operatives from Mexico and they're back up and running within 120 hours. I mean, these, these groups are very effective and very efficient. And it's why after retiring as a captain from the state police, I, I became so frustrated because, you know, we, law enforcement comes out and shows how we disrupted, we dismantled, we took down 10,000 pounds of drugs, and we've been doing that for 50 years. None of it has worked. And what we have to do now have success is focus on the problem, which is the cartels and not the symptoms. Yep. The drugs, not the human smuggling, not just the human trafficking, the people who are responsible, and that is the cartels, George. We've got to take action. You know, again, I, the, the similarity, the only similarity that I can make for the audience is that uh, in one case you are trying to uh, catch a criminal a local criminal be the be the person a a drug uh, dealer uh, a car thief whatever in the other instance you're dealing with foreign nationals who are not only trying to make a buck off of you illegally uh they're trying to destroy you i mean this is to me these cartels have become no different uh in danger in in, in their dangerousness as uh, isis or al qaeda and they obviously look just as ominous and well-prepared militarily as ISIS or uh, al-Qaeda at this point. Am I wrong? No, no, you're absolutely right. You know, remember this cartel, just this one we're talking about, is operating today in over 48 countries around the world. Sinaloa cartel is operating in over 54 countries around the world. So it's not just a U.S. drug problem with Mexico that we're so far beyond that. Their communications are better than ISIS has ever been. Some of these cartels like CJNG and Sinaloa, they have encrypted communications that can go across that country and then beyond, and I don't want to I don't want to go into too much detail because that's that's very sensitive information on the communications part. But it is truly incredible. And for me now, everything is about setting our country up for success. And what we continue to do is put these lawyers from the Department of Justice in these leadership positions who don't understand, who come in as lawyers, and then they start trying to spin up. And this is what we've seen as the leadership of DEA, is what we see at the leadership levels of the FBI, and that's why we continue to do the same thing, hoping for a different result. George, we can't do that anymore. You know, one of the things, uh, Jason, uh, and we've only got about, um, about a minute to go, uh, one of uh, the things that has fascinated me is how uh, adamant some of these people are defending uh, the same technique that uh, we don't need to uh, to uh, call them a, a, a terrorist organization and, uh, you know, that we need to uh, uh, continue doing the same thing, maybe just closing the border uh, and, and, and stuff like that. It just, you know, it, it just is amazing that they don't understand that it's, it's not working. It's not working. It's, it's not working. And the advisors to the president are failing him. I'm going to be very frank, open, and honest here. They are failing him. They want to do what we've always done. They don't want to change. And look, I get it. Mexico are our partners. We're not trying to go to war with Mexico. We are going to work in collaboration with Mexico. But what I am saying very clearly as somebody who led intelligence-led operations 
working with the Mexican government to help them be successful against the Zetas and working very closely at our border to drive operations to hold the line is that these cartels have reached a level that we have to use the tools of national power. And we can do that very effectively. Let me give, give the folks listening just some examples. I'm not saying we go to war with the cartels. Today we're fighting dark networks. So we, we break these networks down, George, by the type of network are they? Are they designed as a hub, as a spoke, as a wheel, what, or a mesh network, and many others. And what you do is you identify the key nodes. And when you remove those key nodes, and in some cases we can arrest them, in some cases we may have to kill them because they're very protected and very strong. But whatever that is, we need to provide the tools and national power to focus in on them. And when you take that problem set away, the rest of the group around it collapses. How you win today. Problem is we're still trying to do a law enforcement operation. Go in there and arrest a few people, announce the seizure of drugs, and say we've disrupted a network. That is absolutely false when you're dealing with global networks. And it's why the American taxpayer is spending billions of dollars to do the same thing and hope for a different result. And I can tell you right now, after 50 years of doing it, it's clear we have to do things differently. Amazing, amazing. Jason, we got to go, but uh, tell the folks where they can read more of you because uh, obviously you're, you're publishing some very, very important reports. Tell the folks how they can find you. Sure. I'm with Breitbart. Uh, Cartel Chronicles team, and we report exclusively on this. Also, you can find me at jasonjones.com. Um, that's J-A-E-S-O-N, jasonjones.com. And recently, on social media, I'm hosting Tripwires and Triggers, um, where I show the daily events of these cartels. And if anybody wants to follow the day in, day out, you can find me there. Wonderful. Thank you very much, my friends. We've been talking with my good buddy Jason Jones on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning.